Hello, hello. This is West of Everest. Lee Benson alongside Grant Benson back after a week hiatus to talk all the goings on in the world of OU football. Coming up on the show, it's a topic we've somewhat steered clear of, but today we'll jump into the world of NIL, specifically as it pertains to Oklahoma. I asked all of you listening out there on the West of Everest Facebook page to tell us your thoughts on NIL, so we'll read your comments and then react. Aside from the NIL discussion, we've got to talk about FanDuel releasing 2024 season win totals. Oklahoma's number is quite surprising. Is it a reality check or a terrific chance to make some money? Also, if you'd, it would appear the Sooners are in need of a new special teams coach. Okay. And we'll read more Facebook comments and questions that deal with the late Toby Keith and, of course, the Super Bowl, which is today as we record this. Those thoughts will be at the end of the show. So let's now bring in Grant, who was a bit under the weather last week. Grant, are you back to full health? Uh, No. No, I'm not. But uh, that's all right. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. A lot of stuff going around here this winter. I think we're all just kind of just feeling it out as we go, but... uh, I had one of those uh, one of those illnesses where you realize that you're just kind of like, oh wow, I've never really been sick very often in my life, and if this is what it's like, this is pretty terrible. It's like every everybody knows all those people like growing up who just like sick like all the time, and and like I I don't I don't know you and I were never really one of those people, but it's like when I'm sick like that, it's just like oh Jesus, this is what these people have been dealing with the entire time. This is awful. It's the worst. Yeah, getting sick is no fun. Doesn't happen very often to me. I mean, I I got pretty sick, I want to say, in like November or something. I, mean, I think I had the flu, and it's like the first time in a while that I didn't get the flu shot, which I, I'm actually a big believer in the flu shot, anecdotally for myself, because I used to never get it. I used to always get the flu. Didn't even know I was getting the flu. I just got really sick. I was like, oh, that's just life. You get sick, whatever. Like, really sick. I was like, oh, this kind of sucks, but whatever. One year got so bad that I actually went to the doctor and the doctor was like, yeah, you have the flu. I was like, oh, so that's the flu everyone talks about. Uh, ever since then, I started getting the flu shot like in the fall and I had, have not gotten it since until this year. I got lazy, didn't get it. And then I'm pretty sure that's what happened to me. I got the same kind of symptoms, didn't last as long. Anyways, point being, you really uh, it's funny how. You take we all take for granted just the feeling of feeling regular and normal, and then you get sick and it's just everything sucks. Like, uh, why can't I just feel normal again? So, like right now, like I feel great, and so and everyone out there that feels good, just think to yourself, you know, this is great. Just be appreciative of feeling just regular and not feeling bad. (laughs) If you are, I gotta tell you, man, the uh, the combination of body aches and like having a fever to the point where you're like you're sweating and you never know if you're too cold or too hot like at all times just that's all of that together is some bs like it is ridiculous it's like one of those things where it's just like what what's what's going on human genome biology like what what's your problem what's your deal when that's going on the the only solution is you just gotta drink man just drink just throw them back just put it like back, you booze, know, some, right? Some, okay, good. Okay. Is yeah, that like, is, is that maybe why I'm not feeling great? Like instead of some shots, some hot toddies, uh, you know, instead of Dayquil, yeah. Nyquil, Sudafed, I've been I've been I've been throwing back shots of whiskey the last two weeks. Is that why I don't feel well? No. Yeah. You got you know, Jack, uh, you know, 
beers. If you want to warm it up to make your throat feel better, go for it. Yeah, just you got to drink a couple of throat burners. It's always a solution. It's always a solution. <laughs> well, I don't know where this. I don't know where this thing went, but that's pretty funny. I like that. Well, I'll, I'll tell you where it's going. It's going to talk about OU and NIL. We're, we're going to jump right into that. Speaking might as well grab drinking, some throw burners geez. for this talk. <laughs> yeah, for this upcoming talk about it, might as well grab a couple beers and uh, start start early here on Super Bowl Sunday uh, because we haven't really talked much about NIL. I mean, we have a little bit, but not fully given our thoughts. And I want to start this with a comment from the West of Evers Facebook page from longtime listener Philip. And Philip says... As a Sooner fan, I'm really interested in how we're staying competitive in the SEC. Right now, the only things to really measure as far as competitiveness are recruiting and NIL. So I'm interested in those topics right now, especially for the long offseason. I think it would be helpful if more casual fans were aware of how NIL works. And so Phillip's thoughts might represent a lot of people listening here. Until OU plays a game in the SEC this upcoming fall, the only way that we can gauge competition with other schools in the conference is through recruiting and also snatching up players through the transfer portal. And, of course, NIL factors into that quite a bit. So I'll kind of hit on the the last part of his question. How does NIL work? And a lot of you may already know this, but just because this is going to be an episode where we talk about it, might as well go through just the basics of NIL. And it's the ability for college athletes to profit off of their name image and likeness which is what nil stands for as all of you probably know and nil you may remember burst onto the scene in the summer of 2021 and my first memories of nil are around spencer rattler i remember when spencer rattler immediately unveiled a website with spencer rattler branded gear and i remember thinking my to myself back then like who the heck would pay money for spencer rattler gear and here we are i checked today in february of 2024 the website's still live, and uh, people probably are still buying Spencer Rattler gear. So, what the heck do I know? Like, what a great world we live in here. You remember I, that? Grant? I mean, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that for a second. There's, there's no way that's been a profitable venture for them. No way. The website's still going on, though. I mean, what if uh, you know South Carolina fans got super into it after he left OU? You know, it's possible. I just it's it's so funny to me like South Carolina fans would just be jazzed about their their quarterback who led them to a seven and five season that one time and then they were one of the worst teams in in power five last year hey give him some some credit I think Spencer Rattler was just named the MVP of the the senior bowl Uh, he got a big old trophy full of Reese's peanut butter cups so dude's winning right now in life so good for him yeah, I'm not sure if that's going to translate to the NFL, but heck, it's a it's a good start. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know about that. That guy is guy's the least athletic sort of athletic looking dude I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't have high hopes for him in the NFL. Uh, maybe as like some random backup or something. I don't know. Anyways, back to NIL. College athletes are now able to get paid out in the open for their brand, and you know some of these kids make over a million bucks for their name, image, and likeness, maybe even more. And now athletes, like, they're not supposed to just be getting paid simply for being on the team, like for playing sports in college. It's supposed to be, you know, for signing endorsement deals and making appearances, signing autographs, 
speaking, like running practices or something or camps, stuff like that. So there are some strings attached to getting paid. But in effect, college athletes right now can be paid lots of money uh, by simply playing college sports. And so next up, I want to talk about the NIL collectives and how they all fit into this. But before I do that, I wanted to pause here and see if Grant had anything he wanted to add at this stage. No, I mean, I was about to go into it's, you know, you're like a lot of this. I, I, I think it's interesting you bring up the Spencer Rattler thing just because that's that's how it started at. And that was always how this thing was pitched. Right. It's like, hey, no, this is we're not paying the players. They're not employees. La di da di da. This is just giving them an opportunity to still, you know, make money off of like their name and everything like that, which is which is something that intellectually I, I could never really it's 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 hard not to defend that it's it's um that was one thing where it's just like yeah i i can't really form an argument to where that would be a wrong thing i i you know that's that's one of those things but as you're about to talk about here it has completely evolved into something else and nobody is actually doing that i'm sure like they are to some extent i remember the dj graham thing he tried to make a lot of money off of that one-handed interception which hey i mean that's probably the only chance he really had to make any sort of money in his in his college career like significant money probably off something like that but we're going to get into the collectives, and, and the collectives right now is sort of what's running everything. And, and I think this is, this is the part that makes everybody feel a little queasy about the whole thing, uh, just because it's just it's, it's weird, and, and, and you'll get into it. And nobody really has any idea of what this is going to look like even six months from now, much less six years from now. And it just, yeah. it's, it's, it's very odd. So collectives, what they do is they help college athletes get these big money NIL deals and collectives are companies that are not affiliated with the school. They're not affiliated, you know, with these universities and these collectives, they raise a lot of money and in turn, they assist these college athletes with getting NIL deals. So as far as Oklahoma goes, OU's got two collectives, the Crimson and Cream Collective and the one Oklahoma Collective. And the Crimson and Cream Collective is more prominent than the other one and is officially endorsed by Oklahoma. Uh, by the university. So these collectives are in the business of raising money to help aid Oklahoma athlete NIL deals. And the more money that's raised, the more dollars that can be offered to players. Can I, can I step in here for a second? Yeah, yeah I just I, because it's more than that. You talk about how the Crimson and Cream Collective is endorsed by OU. There recently was like a pretty interesting interview on a podcast. I think it was on the OU Insider podcast, which is the, the OU Rivals site now. And they had Jason Belzer on, and he actually he manages the Crimson and Cream Collective. So and this is gonna, something that I was gonna I get did to not, that. You were okay. I was like, but I was just saying, it's but, it's something yeah, I, I didn't we're realize. Get to that if, but okay, you got it. So we'll we'll, we'll I'll, I'll I'll let you do your little rundown here. Yeah, no, I yeah, we're gonna get to uh, Mr. Belzer and kind of how it goes, and we have a couple other Facebook comments and questions that'll pertain to it. So yeah, we'll get there because uh, I am aware of what you're talking about. So. Uh, I got a little bit more background to provide before we get to more of the details. And I, I wanted to talk about like the reality of what NILs are. Like, think about the Caden Green story, and we'll talk a little bit about this a little bit later, but like in very broad strokes, athletes know that they can ask for a certain amount of money from their you know, for their NIL deals. And these collectives out there, they're the ones who ultimately decide if they can pay that money. Uh, for potential recruits to Oklahoma, like out of high school or in the transfer portal, those recruits 
we'll learn about how much money Oklahoma's collectives have and uh, how much they'll be able uh, to get. They'll give them an idea of how much money they'll be able to get from NIL deals if they go to Oklahoma. And so when you talk about how Oklahoma is in competition with other SEC schools, going back to to Phillip's question at the very beginning, uh, or Phillip's comment at the very beginning, and talk about the competition of it, uh, and you know, in the NIL game, it's all about dollar amounts raised by each collective and how much money these collectives are willing to pay for players on their NIL deals. Uh, is that is that a fair description of how collectives work in your mind? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, you know, how is Oklahoma doing in the NIL game? And this is kind of where we can get into more of the details that you were talking about. And I was looking up some information, doing some background. And as far as I can tell, it's pretty difficult to find out really where Oklahoma is compared to other schools because there's not really any metrics or lists out there that's quantifying NIL, except for maybe one. And it's from on three, and they had a top 20 ranking of what they called the most ambitious NIL collectives. And I'm not sure if they're doing this list once a year or, or whatever it is, or if they're going to update it for 2024 here. But the most recent list that I could find came out in the summer of last year. So it was June of 2023. And obviously Oklahoma, you know, a year away from going to the SEC whenever this list came out. And so of the top 20 uh, most ambitious NIL collectives, OU is on the list at number 17, that Crimson and Cream Collective. The problem is, is that eight SEC schools are ranked ahead of OU on that list. Tennessee's number one, A&M number two, Texas at four, Arkansas at eight, Ole Miss nine, Auburn 12, Georgia 14, and South Carolina at 16 kind of surprised like no Alabama on that list so I don't I mean maybe a lot of Alabama was just simply Saban and you know they were helping them out but uh, another separate just interesting takeaway from that list is that West Virginia and Texas Tech are above OU as well West Virginia at 10 Texas Tech at 11 so my takeaway of all that is that it would appear that on like a national scale OU's NIL situation is pretty good compared to the rest of college football but when you compare it to the SEC, it's may- maybe at best middle of the pack at this point. And so uh, do you have any reactions to that at all? Have you, have you seen that list? Like, what are you – is that I, interesting I, to you? Yeah, I've, I've seen it. I, I, think there's, I, I think there's some real-world stuff that doesn't really jive with that list. I mean, I, West Virginia and, and Texas Tech being ahead of them, that's fine. I, OU has done way better than both of those schools in the transfer portal up, up to this point. Um, I mean, o- OU has still gotten guys, you know, in the last two transfer portal cycles, they've still gotten guys like Desan McCullough and Deion Burks, who everybody pretty much wanted. Um, and so you, you can't get those guys unless you have some sort of organization with your NIL. Um, in terms of, I mean, South Carolina being ahead of OU, Auburn being ahead of OU, that doesn't really jive. Those are both schools that haven't done a great job in the transfer portal. I know South Carolina did get Antoine Wells a couple of years ago. He got hurt. That was a good pickup for them, but he's been the only notable guy they've gotten. Auburn this year doesn't really have a transfer portal class to speak of at all. Um, I, and so it's where I, I guess, you know, what has spurred a lot of sort of this conversation in the fan base the last month or so has basically been, you know, the Ole Misses of the world, the Missouris of the world, beating OU for big guys. Tennessee is the big one. Um, you know, on Gabe and Teddy's podcast almost a month ago now, 
they had like a big segment where where they were basically kind of laying it down how it is and the two teams that that Gabe mentioned uh, was you know Tennessee and they're you know and I think they were at the top of that on three list where yep. they're you know where per year they're paying about twenty million in NIL and then I think he he used eighteen million to describe Ole Miss as well and I think that's what got a lot of OU fans sort of panicky whereas like hey you know these are two programs that we perceive as we're better than these programs and we have more resources in these programs. But when it comes to the NIL game and the transfer portal, that is not playing itself out in this way. And I think that caused a lot of people to panic. And I, I, you know, at this point in time with like on three, what they're saying, I I still think this is all guesses. None of this stuff is public information. We, We just, we don't know. And I think that's also one of the problems with this as well. If you don't have any sort of, if you're going to start treating this venture more as a professional sport, Professional sports have disclosure stuff. You have to know exactly how much you're paying everybody at all times so you know how you're stacking up. And that isn't the case right now. And that's that's causing a whole lot of just incongruity and confusion. And nobody knows what they're competing against. Yeah, and a lot of it, you know, I've read some of the, you know, description of the, of the schools in that list and you know where they get their information and you know they have sources and you know sometimes nil and managers will just straight up tell them how much money they're spending and you gotta just take their words for it uh so that's like where they like to your point that's not public uh it's public sometimes whenever these collectives will actually say it but then again there's no way of actually checking to see you know how accurate those are and so i think at this point we can get into what you were bringing up a moment ago and i'll use a facebook comment to kind of uh, transition us into talking about you know who you know the management of the OU NIL collectives and it's from Chris on the West Beverly Facebook page and Chris says and asks is there a central person that is in control or managing the NIL if not why not why not hire a marketing slash fundraising team for NIL instead of just tweeting a link to donate it just feels like Oklahoma wants to be behind the ball. It's either negligence or ignorance. And so uh, this is interesting because I think we do have answers to Chris's questions. And this will start with the guy you mentioned a moment ago, Jason Belzer. Like we, I've seen and heard about his name a lot lately. That's the guy who manages the Crimson and Cream Collective at OU. And uh, on top of Belzer managing the Crimson and Cream Collective, there's a giant board of advisors at that collective, which include uh, the aforementioned Gabe Biker. You mentioned his podcast, which I have some thoughts about that from him and Teddy's podcast because you know, he's right there in it. You know, he's involved with the Crimson and Cream Collective. Uh, so Eichert, uh, Ryan Broyles is on that advisory committee. Uh, my former colleague, Dusty, <clears throat> excuse me, Dusty Dvorak is also on that committee and, and a lot more former Sooners and people involved with Oklahoma Athletics are on that committee, on the advisory committee. And so... I don't necessarily agree with the premise of Chris's question or a statement because it does not appear that there's evidence that OU is behind the ball or showing negligence or ignorance when it comes to NIL at this point. Uh, and we can talk a little bit more about how Gabe described it from his podcast. Um, and actually, yeah, might as well do right now. I mean, I took, was kind of listened to it because, again, he's involved with it. So I, there's no no reason to think that what Gabe would be saying about this is not true. Like, I don't. I don't understand what the point would be if for him to lie about it because it's the, the players, the potential recruits, they're going to find out one way or the other. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, that was the whole point. This is why this is why that segment on that podcast in late January 
was 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 relevant is because this was almost you know straight from the horse's mouth. This was the first time we actually got some legit insight into how everything works, um, and that's why everybody had thoughts on it. And so I'm yeah I I, I did want to kind of to back up a second because you brought up the on three list, and I, I do find it interestingly that. At the end of the 2023 season, the two best programs I think everyone perceived to be in college football were not on that list, Georgia and Alabama. Two best programs in college football. Uh, Georgia. Um, Georgia's on the list. Was Georgia on the list? Okay. Yeah. I think there are 14. Okay. But also, it's right, you know, Georgia, they're not 14. They're not not doing the same stuff in NIL as, like, you know, Texas A&M is and stuff like that. And so I do think it's interesting. There's not necessarily some some one-to-one comparison there where it's like, hey, it's the the big baddies of college football as we've, you know, ha- that have been established over the last 10 or 15 years. They're not necessarily at the top of those lists. And I think it's an interesting question to ask why. Do they have some of the same reservations that OU's administration does? My guess is probably they do. Sure. And I want to hit on some information that we got from that uh, OU Breakdown podcast from Gabe Eichard and also to address some of the points of Chris's comment slash question, uh, because I, I don't think Oklahoma is behind the eight ball. And I'm, I'm basing it off of you know, what Gabe was saying and kind of what they're doing. And so some kind of notes I took and some big takeaways is that Gabe mentioned that this Crimson and Cream Collective uh, number one, he said, Oklahoma leadership, like Oklahoma's not going to break the rules. They're not going to break any sort of rules. That's just not what the school does. Uh, but he did say that Oklahoma is tiptoeing right up to the line without crossing it, whatever that means. And so one of the bigger takeaways for me was that he said that leadership at Oklahoma is redirecting money from the athletic department to the collective because they know how important NIL is to the future of OU football in the SEC. And so that's pretty interesting how clearly that must be something that's perfectly within the rules because Gabe wouldn't bring it up if not, that school, like the university can funnel money from the athletic department and basically donate it, makes it me to wonder the collective. If, makes me wonder if that's what he means about coming right up to the edge because they're, they've probably, with lawyers, they've probably found a way to make it sort of legal to do that. They've probably, through intermediaries and donations, they've taken athletic department money and they've probably had people submit that money on you know on behalf of just like a person or something and they've they yeah that's yeah. just that's speculation that's a guess um but I, I i found that very interesting as well because i i immediately started thinking like okay well how does that work how do you do that legally because i like i know for a fact like i know these nil rules that are set forth they're very loose and nobody really understands them but they exist the rules exist there that the ncaa set out and i you know without knowing the exact bylaws i can i can tell you with 99% certainty that an athletic department can't just give money to an IL. You can't do that. Yeah, that's, that's what was, was interesting to me as well. And so I think that's evidence to me that I don't think OU is showing any sort of ignorance or negligence on this part. I mean, they're, they know it's important. Uh, and they, they're trying and they to raise shelved, money. And they, they shelved a lot of the facility stuff that, was, that they, had, they had drawn up and everyone was excited for. I mean, Thad Turf oh, yeah, seat's not there right. anymore. And that is, that is a direct, a direct acknowledgement that they're, that they're prioritizing more nil money than they are with the facilities now because they've in my eyes they've probably rightfully gauged that that's what the arms race is now it's it's to pay for labor and not necessarily like you know before you could legally pay guys it was all the arms race of who can have just like the best nicest facilities that are updated every two years yeah and that uh 
Jason Belzer, the guy who manages it, I know he's done a lot of interviews lately, but I think maybe that interview in the OU Insider or whatever the interview, he a big part of that was he he said that in his opinion, athletic departments should be funding collectives and finding ways to fund collective as opposed to uh, you know, maybe facilities and like or like what you know compared to the things they've spent money on in the past. Like he thinks that's the future. And so a couple other notes from that uh, Oklahoma Breakdown podcast that I found interesting is uh, Eichard said that the goal for OU football in 2024 for the collective is to to raise nine million dollars like that's their goal I, he didn't say like where they are in that number right now uh, and the the goal with that collective and with OU is that they want to provide everybody on the team with NIL opportunities as opposed to just like the top guys which maybe that's how other collectives are like where they're you know, all this money but they're just try, you know oh we're going to pay our, our top players uh and another thing that is certainly important and this is going to be something that we can track for the next couple of years is sustainability they want the the dollar amounts that they receive to be sustainable to be consistent obviously if you get more that's great but obviously you don't want a situation where oh you raise all this money one year and then all of a sudden the next year you you, you lose 50 percent of it and that's the well, one of the questions Gabe had is like these Tennessee and Ole Miss and Missouri you know, where they're just kind of going all in and have all this money, whatever money they have. I think you mentioned, you know, maybe 20 mil or 18 mil. Some is that going to be sustainable for these schools? Uh, and, and if so, more power to them. But that's the thing where they're focusing on that. Like how can Oklahoma's collectives be, you know, how can they sustain consistent dollar amounts coming in? Yeah, and I, I think that's interesting too, just because you're I mean, ten okay, Tennessee is is in a very, very, you know, populous area. Nashville, Knoxville, a lot of Tennessee fans there. There's just more Tennessee probably has a bigger fan base and donation base than Oklahoma does. Um that being said though, I highly doubt that that Tennessee is funding their collective with just a bunch of individual dollar donations from fans. They, 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 got, they got a big pocket, guys, that are funding that. I know that's the case with Ole Miss. Ole Miss has a much smaller fan base than Oklahoma does. They're, they're, not, they're not getting to $18 million because of a bunch of fans you know, donating $10 a month here or there. They have big pocket guys who are just like, no, this is your money. This, this is, we're, we're, we're dedicating this money. And so, and I mean, that's the same thing with Texas A&M, Miami. That's the whole thing. I, I just... I at this point in time, I refuse to believe that any of these collectives are are making you know money hand over fist with individual fan donations. That's not happening. Yeah, and interesting you bring that up because I was going to address another part of Chris's comment and the part where you know as far as marketing or you know fundraising, he asked about that, and I'd say there's a legitimate question out there for advertising these collectives, I suppose, because. I don't see a whole lot about it. Like I don't, you know, I, I know they exist, but like we're super dialed in to how college, you know, sports work now. In a perfect world, I think for these collectives, for every single school, uh, and specifically for Oklahoma, this Crimson and Cream or the one Oklahoma, you know, whatever one you want to, you know, talk about. Specifically, Crimson and Cream because it's kind of the you know more prominent one. Like in a perfect world, every Oklahoma fan would donate a small dollar amount per month. And then, boom, you're you're consistent. And you know, I, I think Belzer. I think I listened to. I know he went on to, to the Patreon uh, with uh, through the keyhole and talked. And I, I want to say he he mentioned something like, and maybe it was a different one. I don't know. He's, he was kind of everywhere that he'd like people to potentially think of 
donating to collectives as just another another uh, subscription service that they have, you know, because they have like Netflix and all these that they're giving you, which, okay, I mean, I, the thing is, though, I, I just don't think that's practical. Like, OU fans already spend tons of money on OU athletics, so I don't think it's reasonable to expect fans to all of a sudden just start spending even more money on a monthly basis uh, just to collectives for this stuff. And that's, that's like, you know, that's what I think. And I think this sentiment is also shared by another comment that we got on the West of Evers Facebook page. And this one came from Brett. And Brett says, Lee, I'm just waiting for employee status, honestly. He said, Brett says, fan viewership like mine brings in record profits to the schools and staff. I'm not spending 800 bucks a month on groceries for my family and then dropping hundreds of dollars for an athlete. Schools are making money on football. Let them pay the players. And so he mentions employee status, and that's a whole nother thing to talk about, which I don't know if that's the direction like where this is going at all. Uh, and we can talk a little bit about that if we if you'd like, uh, but I'll pause and I'll let you kind of comment just on uh, the practicality maybe of fans donating money and just kind of like maybe in, any of the things that I just was talking about, Grant. Yeah, I think it's silly. It's silly. You know, I've just the concept of it feels silly for sure, where it's like, uh, you know, and hey, I've I've donated some money. I don't have like a subscription, but I've 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 done some like just one off donations to that stuff. But I, I'm somebody who has spent tens of thousands of dollars in my life on OU football. I mean, like it's it's something that is already I, I set aside money every year to spend on OU football already. And a lot of the times, it's getting to the games, it's paying for tickets, it's buying merchandise, and all of that stuff. Um, I'll. And I'll tell you exactly where I'm right now. I'm someone who will donate to a collective if you're going to go after someone like Walter Nolan. Um, but at this point in time, they're not going after guys like that. So it's hmm. and why it's sure, you know, hard dollar amount is is a reason why. There's probably other things, too. I think this this OU coaching staff is is very concerned with locker room dynamics as well, which is something that I've been concerned about over the last handful of years as this stuff as this stuff has popped up because there's still an active experiment going on with it this year i think Ole miss is going to be a great a great case study in that this year Ole miss basically graduated their entire defense this past year and they brought in maybe the three best defensive line portal guys and they've never been in the program they haven't been part of that culture what if it totally blows up in their face i we, we don't know right. that yet we we're, we really don't know that yet and so um, I just, yeah, I, I find the whole thing so far still just to be a complete experiment that's playing out in real time. And, and I'm with like, I just, I, I don't think it's that realistic to expect fans to donate more of their money to, you know, to potentially be put into a pot where they'll potentially go after guys when they have no say in the guys that they're going to go after. It's just, it's, yeah, it's a weird a thing. I want to know where my money is going if I give them, if I give them that money. And so you're kind of providing a little bit of background and, and thoughts on what you believe, you know, think about NIL in general, just like the experiment and stuff. And, and so I kind of wanted to transition more into, and we've talked about it briefly on the show about what our, just overall what we think about NIL, because I know uh, some people, there's a lot of opinions on it. And so uh, I just want to kind of get it out, out there, make it concrete, like my 
you know, where we're at and honestly probably why we haven't spent much time on it, at least from my perspective. And so I'd say that my thoughts on NIL at the moment are in the same ballpark as my thoughts on the future of Oklahoma's offensive line. Like, would I like the, the situation to look better on paper at the moment? Yes. But am I going to spend time concerned or panicked about the whole situation? No. Because I think throwing a bunch of money at players may work for Tennessee or Missouri or Ole Miss and others who choose to go down that route at the time, at this moment, right now. And if it does work, then like I think you can watch for other collectives to take note of that and then adjust. But I don't think the easy answer to problems is just to throw a bunch of money at them. And I think roster development, culture development is very important. And I think that's the balance that Oklahoma is trying to strike right now as they wait out to see what the proper route is. Like where NIL could become a problem is if there does or there there is concrete evidence down the line in a couple of years, let's say, that paying a bunch of money for certain players works. And then Oklahoma still decides to not play that game and not compete. Like whether whether it's that they just straight up can't compete due to not enough donors, not enough money, or even worse, whether they just choose not to compete. But honestly, I can't imagine Oklahoma leadership just choosing not to compete if it came to that. Because I just they they're all in with the SEC. They have to be. They know they have to be. So I think it's one of those things where it's down the line we're going to learn a lot more. And at the moment, I don't think there's really any sort of reasonable reasons to be super worked up you can be i get it because it's easy to see other teams throwing money at problems and stuff and think oh why can't we do that why can't oklahoma do that fine i just don't necessarily think right now that's the best solution and you know down the line it may be we just don't know that yet yeah and i think you know hey the the more things change i think a lot of in a lot of ways the more they stay the same too i you know it has i think it's been proven throughout the history of college football it does pay to throw money at high school recruits. That is, and I, and I do think there's enough evidence out there to suggest that that side of the coin is what OU is, has decided to, to focus on. And we'll, I mean, we'll go, and you know, the Ole Misses and the Missouris of the world sort of eating OU's lunch in the transfer portal this cycle, it sucks. It doesn't feel good, especially going into year one of the SEC. Those are two programs that o, those, OU is a better program than, than Ole Miss and Missouri. And so when we're losing to them in the transfer portal, I, I understand how that sets off alarm bells and everything. OU's roster, top to bottom, is still better than Ole Miss's and Missouri's. Still is. And so, but Ole Miss, Missouri, they might have, you know, some other kind of like, they may have X-Factor guys who are higher paid, but they don't have the depth that OU does at this point in time. And like I said, this is a real-world experiment that we're going to see play out this year. And it's going to be like, what if, you know, I mean... I don't know how much money that Missouri is paying for Caden Green, but I, I do know that they just they they absolutely just ponied up money for by far the least valuable position in football. Is is it going to pay off for them? I you know I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Speaking of that, let's see. I want to make sure I cite this correctly. I was reading. I, I didn't really listen to like full interviews from Belzer at all. I was just reading some write ups from some of the interviews. And one of them, uh, one of the write-ups talks about, I guess he talked about Caden Green and that whole background of it. Did you see that or did you hear that? I saw that. Yeah, that's kind of what I was, I was going off of when, when I saw that. And it's, uh, I, I think w- one thing about Belzer and the Crimson and Cream Collective that I, that I find fascinating that I didn't know before he kind of went on his little car wash 
podcast tour. Um, Jason Belzer is, is, is part of like a larger NIL company and he himself manages a handful of schools NIL collectives. More and than a handful. I think he might manage like double digits. Yeah, like that's it's a yeah, lot. it's that's bizarre to me. That's like that's an area where if I'm OU's administration, I'm like, hey, maybe this is what we need in the first three, four years as we go through this transition. But I that's that's something that I think you would want in house. And just there's a single guy doing all of that. But but also at this, this is a new thing. This is I mean, this Belzer guy is clearly a pro if he can do a lot of these different things. And you just want to make sure that you're you're buttoned up in that regard while you learn the business. But that, that that's that's odd to me. I that's a not that that's like a huge problem, but I would think that if you're OU's administration, you would want to go out on your own on that so that you could build something of your own because otherwise it's it, it has to be cookie cutter to some degree. Yeah, and maybe it's a situation where it makes sense now because Belzer is involved with many different schools, so he has an idea of what the market rate is and like for a certain play. Like maybe that's, that's a point. valuable thing to have. Like whereas like if it's just by yourself, you have no idea what people are making, and it's important to know what players are going for. And so I did want to get into this, so I'll, I want to properly credit. Uh, it's from the OU Insider interview with him. I believe that's uh, Brandon Drum and Parker Thune. Uh, to my former colleagues when I covered OU and uh, two people I you know, get along with just fine. And uh, I wanted to bring up the Caden Green portion of it because I, it's, and I'm reading this football scoop, did like kind of a, you know, a write-up of it. And so this is from uh, quoting Belzer. He said, when it came to Caden Green, just like everybody else, we presented him with a contract for the coming year. He was still under contract with us. When he did respond with us, he basically said that he wanted substantially more money. This is Jason Belzer on the OU Insider uh, podcast interviewing. Continues, says, we looked at it and we said, okay, we're not going to give you what you're asking, but we're willing to come up. And we basically came close to matching what he had asked for. And then Caden Green sort of said, you know what? I'm going to go into the portal. At the end of the day, we can only have those conversations, end quote. So pretty interesting, uh, and it's kind of not like, hearing that out. I mean, this is right. I mean, he manages the collective, so I don't know again why this would be not true. Or I tend to take him for you know at his word, and that's probably maybe what a lot of us kind of assumed happened. <laughs> you know, like kind of hearing a little bit from Gabe Iker on his podcast, and he talked about it a little bit. Yeah, it makes sense. Basically, uh, they they offered him more and still he was like, no, nope, I'm going to see what I can get and I'm going to the portal. And clearly he was, uh, Missouri must've offered him more. And then there you go. He transfers. And no, that's, that's just kind of the world we're living in right now. Yeah, I know from, from circumstantial evidence that's out there. That's exactly what happened. Missouri offered more money. How much more? I don't know, but they, they offered more money and he took it. And that's just, that's kind of how it is right now. You can absolutely profit in the transfer portal. If, 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 if you want to go that route. So I, it sucks. Like it's, it's new. That's, it's such a new thing in college football, especially for it to be out there totally in the open. And, and obviously the, the free transfer rule, which is, is still a terrible rule that needs to go away. I, 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 I despise that when that first, the free transfer rule, it was always pitched as like a, as, as like a justice thing as like, this is just the right thing to do. Where it's just like on the pl- and I'm just like just get off your high horse, stop it, stop. You, you, like there is, 
if, if, if you're a college football player and like you are the elite of the elite of society, you are not an oppressed person at all. Like, I'm sorry. The, the whole, the whole, you know, having to sit out a year before transferring, that was there as a competitive thing to prevent this exact thing, to present, uh, to, to prevent chaos as we see now. And like, I just, I, I, I have a lot of resentment for the people that pitch this as like, as a morality thing, get off your high horse. You're a clown. You know, it's interesting as well, because I think only football and basketball have that rule in the NCAA, because for example, I remember, uh, softball players like when i was covering texas a&m and oklahoma state when i i remember texas a&m had a had a girl and a lot of you may remember um geez she ended up transferring to oklahoma state was like their best pitcher and hitter like and she was in the college world's not blanking on her name blonde girl uh, shaw samantha shaw and she pitched at texas a&m and i remember covering a&m and seeing shaw and she was like one of their top pitchers and then she goes to oklahoma state and didn't have to sit out at all like she didn't, she could just transfer and play right away. And I remember thinking, like, wait, how was she already eligible to play at Oklahoma State? She transferred. Well, like in softball, you can transfer and you can play right away. And I, I don't know if that's the same rule in like baseball too. And uh, it might just be. Well, I guess it's it's all different now. It's all you can transfer and not sit out anymore. But it used to be just football and basketball, I believe. And to your point, it was it was a competitive thing, and it made players really make sure that they wanted to commit somewhere and when they when they sign their their uh what is it in nli national letter of intent like yep we want to go there and then if, if you want to break that all right now i mean you have to sit a, sit a year out which is nobody wants to sit a year out and i know that the you know the, the some of the i was gonna say some of the arguments against us like well what if a coach leave a, a coach doesn't have to sit out a year and it's like okay yeah i sure but that they're not coaches or coaches they're not players sorry it's exactly like, and it was always like that was always the rejoinder was like hey a coach can leave whenever he wants and leave his team in the dust and then and i was always like okay cool if a coach leaves then then they can transfer freely fine and cool. i think that was i don't know if that was the rule if they put that rule in but i agree with that like if one of your coaches if your coach leaves i think it's totally fair to allow a free transfer because that's not what you signed up for you signed up for a different coach and now they're gone and I don't know if that was a rule or not, or if maybe they made that a rule. No, that's they not a, made that's the not open a thing at all. Rule no, or? that's not a thing. There's, it's okay, just so like they, never, the NCAA yeah, so they, just finally was just like, here, 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 here it is. This is what you want. It's go. a free for all. Yeah. Yeah. And now so. it's like, and, and we'll get into it, but now it's like, this has been a much bigger theme of this off season. You got, I mean, it's just the Boston college head coach goes and takes a job in the NFL. And he specifically cites like this, this job sucks now. It's terrible. You have to you have to continuously recruit guys on your own roster and all of that and like this was a choice this was a choice that people made and it's and it was all spurned on by by just by people who are on their high horse talking about things in, in morality terms when you just had no business doing that up a creek without a paddle I mean speaking of how like what you just referenced you know coaches leaving college for the NFL just because it's become a headache to deal with all of this stuff. I want to address, uh, uh, go back to Brett's comment just to address the part where he's, he said he's waiting for employee status. He says, you know what? The schools and the, the conferences are making all this money off football. They should be paying the players. And so the, the thought of college football players or basketball players, those are the two main sports that make any money. Or Obviously, not, not every basketball team makes money. <laughs> I mean, a lot do, and, but every football team does. Uh, and that's about it. Like in this scenario, 
like college football would then officially turn into pro sports then right if they're just that's employees. the that's the rub and like this is you know brett says you know the employee status that is where this is going there is no way of getting around it so i've kind of and like and i've i've been on this podcast for years talking about how this is this is essentially the death of college sports um and i you know i don't know it'll play out we'll see i i like we'll see what happens but in my mind, this is still the death of college sports. As soon as they're employees, it is not college sports anymore. Um, we'll see how it works. Maybe it still works. Maybe it's still like we, maybe when we're watching it on TV, we don't think about those things and it's still great and the project is great and there's more. I, you know, I don't know. I, I've, I've been more open to the fact that maybe it'll still be great. But there, I mean, say, say goodbye to women's rowing. That's not existing anymore if we go to this. It's, that yeah, will no longer exist. And that's the part I haven't you know, thought a whole lot about how this would work because I feel like there's just so many ramifications that are impossible to really predict. Uh, if college you know, football players and basketball players, those are the two main sports that make any money, if they become employees, because in this instance, then you'd have a union like other pro sports have. What would come of that? I don't know. And then you throw in the NCAA, which the NCAA, we all agree, is a joke. Uh, the fact that it's still around is kind of ridiculous. I don't know. But, I mean, they're the governing body of all these other sports that don't make any money, like you mentioned rowing. And, I mean, heck, baseball, softball. I mean, only only a very small portion of schools actually make money in those sports. Uh, track and field, swimming. I mean, all, uh, like, there's just these. There's so the much. Sports there's so don't much. Make any money. Like, and, and, like, you're, you're going to have to, like, deal with it, too, where it's like I, I still think, like, I'm – uh, even with NIL, like the thing that I that I that still a vast vast majority of college football players are not worth the full the full value of their scholarship. I believe that wholeheartedly, and so when you get into the point of having to pay players, the re, that financial reality is going to start to become very clear as well. That now you have to do revenue sharing, and you're giving even more money on top of a scholarship for these guys who, uh, frankly, are not worth it. 85, 85 like scholarship, that's not going to be a thing anymore. It's going to have to be probably closer to like a 53-man roster because you're not going to be able to pay all of these guys. It's like the money, it does not work out. But also I think the, the, the other rub of this, which is funny, is because I, you go to like a CBA system, which I think effectively neuters a lot of the charm of college sports. Like in order to do this, it will have to be basically like a 50-team division, essentially, where you're, you're cutting out basically 90 teams that are there. I think really, really diminishing the charm of college sports. It really will be more just like a big pro league, spurred on mostly by the SEC and the Big Ten, as we're seeing now, which to me, I, I just don't have a lot of interest in that, but that's where we're going, and we'll see what it looks like. Um, I think the rub about this is that in a situation like this where the athletic department is the one who is in charge of paying these players and roster development, that probably is a situation where OU is better positioned than a lot of other teams because their athletic department is very buttoned up, it's profitable, and it's extremely well run. And that is, that's not the case for a lot of different places. So it's just like it's we're – at, we're at a thing right now where it's the Wild West, and I don't think that this, this really works out very well for OU, but – this situation where there is a CBA and you and players are under contract and all of that, that's a situation where I think it's the power shifts back to OU. They would be doing very well in that situation just because they have a really good administration. And, you know, that won't always be the case. Joe Castiglione's not always going to be around, but it's, it's, it's a weird thing. Like I, I do think that 
a situation like that makes it more likely for OU to compete for national championships because they're buttoned up. They're more buttoned up than a vast majority of programs. There's a lot there. And I mean, it's a lot of maybe kind of whatever, like who knows, but you're just basing it off of educated guesses of how just the pro system works and where money goes and whatnot. I mean, throw another wrench into the whole thing that I don't know how this would get, uh, I guess, legislated or how it would even come about. What about Title IX? Title IX is all about equality. Like all this money comes around with, for football players and basketball players. Uh, the whole part about Title IX is that there's equal amount of scholarships. There's equal amount of opportunity for women. And certainly women's sports don't – they're not profitable. I mean, OU softball, maybe. On, like, I think technically they're kind of profitable right now. So, like, they're a huge outlier. Baylor women's basketball, I think, maybe for a couple of years has been – but massive outliers – and how are other schools going to be able to fund and keep a bunch of women's sports going? Because by law, you have to. And that's, I think that's why and that's where Title IX might be the, the, yeah, the, to, the reason why this work. might continue to be college sports in a weird way. That's <laughs> why it's like, different yeah, legislation. And that, that's the thing that we always talk about. It's that these football programs, they are, they are funding the entire shebang in a, lot of, in a lot of regards. So I don't know. And, you know, you're talking about Gosh, I mean, like some of these some of these ideas of just football splitting off entirely from college sports, and then they just like use the branding of the schools, and then like none of these guys are they're not even students anymore. Like that's that may be the only way to make it actually work. And like from there, I'm just like, okay, so now this is just the NFL minor leagues with with college branding, and and then like if if that were to happen, you got to ask the question: What are we doing here? Yeah, I don't know. All, 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 be, well, all because people feel bad that, that for whatever reason, that some college, college guys can't get like a W-9 and, get, and just get like direct deposited funds because it makes them feel weird, even though a vast majority of them are being overpaid with their full-ride scholarships. And I agree. I mean, like, obviously, uh, if you're a... I'm sorry, like if you're a, on the track and field team and you're a male or female you are you are benefiting greatly from a full ride scholarship granted if you're on the male track and field team you're probably not getting a full ride uh, but if you're female you probably are because there's there's got to be there's there's so many scholarships on the men's side for football on the women's side there's got to be equal so there's a lot more full ride scholarships for all those sports like track and field and swimming and uh, softball and you know that aren't necessarily there for men uh, aside from football and basketball I mean, baseball players, there's no such thing as a, a full-ride scholarship in baseball. I, mean, I remember, like, when we were growing up, we are you know, Minnesota, and, you know, Joe Maurer was, uh, it was like a famous story. It was like Joe Maurer wasn't even offered a full-ride scholarship <laughs> to go to, I think, like Florida State or something, but he ended up obviously getting drafted, not going anyways, because they just don't, they only get 13 or something for the entire team, whatever it is. So uh, point being to your point is, like, most people that get full-ride scholarships in college sports that is a, ma- a massive benefit, and it's uh, a lot more. It's worth a lot more than than they're actually bringing to the school. And I think that's a the vast majority of players. That's the case, and they're benefiting from that full ride scholarship, which is what the model has been for however many years. It's just that set, you know, limited amount of players who are superstars who can benefit from their name because they're famous. That yeah, they can they can utilize nil. It's just now it's. Uh, 
maybe it's turned into something else, I guess. I don't know. I mean, or it's just kind of going a certain way where why can't it just kind of keep going this way without turning into a, a pro model? I, I tend, tend to think that it can just kind of keep going this direction. And it'll kind of like whenever NIL started in 2021, in my mind, it's like, you know what? It'll just, we'll figure it out. People will just. The problem with that, though, is that it's not like. And this like this actually does like this matters like quality of life for people who work in this industry is terrible. You can't like if 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 you want to be a big baddie in college football, you want to have one of the best programs. You're I'm sorry, like you're Nick Saban is working more hours than Joe Biden before he before before he retires. Like it's it's a it is a it's a sixteen hour a day job, and like that's just not that's not realistic. I am. I'm always kind of skeptical about how many how many hours college football coaches actually work. They, they kind of over. I think they kind of over uh, overdo. I mean, a lot of it's just if, kind of even if, connections and whatnot. Even if they're on vacation and they're just like supposed to be relaxing, it's like oh well, it's yeah. it's nine to eleven here, and I'm in, in I'm in you know Costa Rica. I'm here supposed to be relaxing with my family, but no, I got to take the next two hours. I got a list of twenty five kids that I need to text and call. That's work. Have you ever talked to a sixteen yeah. year old kid? awful yeah no i mean that's but then again i mean that's kind of that's always been the the life of a college football coach though i mean you're always recruiting you always hear that from coaches and that's whether that's i mean the big difference now is that you're but now you're your recruiting your team you're your own roster because there used to be yeah, ways like they couldn't just new. leave like if you left yeah if, if you if you left it was always there it's like well i'm gonna make the decision but if i leave i gotta sit out of here i can't play right that was powerful right. that was powerful and it wasn't it wasn't the ncaa putting their boot on student athletes we have some more West of Everest Facebook comments. Let's go to our friend Jared. Jared's got an NIL comment. He says, of course, tons of donors are spending big money early in this whole experiment because they feel they have to, uh, have to spend to, quote, keep up. But after a few years, when money doesn't add up to W's for a majority of these universities, how many of these donors will stop spending because they don't see the point? I wonder if five to seven years from now, the NIL money concentrates even more amongst the top teams as generic middling teams stop spending a million bucks on a spare quarterback that might get them to five wins instead of four wins with the guy they already have. So in general, this has been my thought going back to before NIL was even a thing. I, I think in general, donors at a lot of colleges – will always be giving money to benefit the football program. Like that's just always going to be a thing, whether it's Alabama or whether it's Texas Tech or whether it's nah, not, I was going to say Vanderbilt, but that's not necessarily the case. That's whether it's um I don't know, in Indiana <laughs> or or uh, Purdue. Like there's going to be big money donors that just want to give money. And so I think like when all that money used to just go straight to the athletic departments, right, straight to the schools, like maybe now these wealthy donors are splitting up how they spend their money. Like some of it goes to the school directly. Some of it goes to these collectives. Uh, and I think NIL and the transfer portal has helped. I think it's helped improve parity in college football over the last couple of seasons. Like, like look at the playoff results. Like we've seen some new blood recently. You got a new national champion this past year. Missouri was pretty darn good kind of out of nowhere this past season arizona made a nice jump now they lost their coach kansas has improved i mean mostly because of leipold but you know better coaching but they've they've gotten better i mean michigan just uh, won the national championship and michigan michigan hasn't out recruited oklahoma in any cycle for decades hasn't happened 
yeah, and I, so I bring all of that up. My point of that is since there's been some parity, the NILs kind of helped that, I think, just anecdotally. I think that all of that, the NIL is going to continue to kind of help spread out talent in college football. So there necessarily won't be that concentrated situation at the top where only the big schools like Bama and Georgia and Ohio State are just now like kind of back where it was. We're getting all the main recruits like and just for evidence, just look at the top recruits in the class of 2024 that just signed. There's a lot of different schools represented uh, in the top 25, like the top 25 players in the class of 2024, according to, uh, you know, 247, you know, their composite rankings, the, the top 25 players in the nation, 17 different schools are represented going to those schools. And uh, I'll go on the line, Ohio State, Georgia, Florida, Auburn, Missouri, Nebraska, Alabama, Tennessee, Miami, Colorado, Texas A&M, OU, LSU, South Carolina, uh, Clemson, Notre Dame, Texas Tech's in there. Last year, 2023, also 17 different schools represented. Uh, Texas, Tennessee, Bama, UCLA, Miami, USC, OU, A&M, Georgia, Colorado, South Carolina, LSU, Oregon, Ohio State, Ole Miss, Florida State, and Penn State. How about 2022 after NIL? Had you know, been a thing for a year. Uh, 14 different schools. 2021, the uh, signing class right before NIL went in, only 12 schools. 2020, 13 schools. 2019, actually pretty good at 15. 2018, only 11. 2017, only 11. 2016, 14. 2015, 15. And that was a lot of numbers I just threw at you. Point being, in the last 10 recruiting classes, the last two seasons have been the most teams represented in the, getting the top players in the nation. And it was consistent. 17 this year, 17 last year. And granted, I mean, go back to 2015, they had 15 schools. So that's pretty close. So back way before NIL, you know, uh, but still a couple of years in there, only 11 schools. You know, a lot of, a lot of Clemson, a lot of, a lot of Georgia, a lot of Alabama. Man, randomly, Grant, in 2017, the West Coast did great. Like, there's only 11 schools in the top 25 players. Stanford got a bunch of these kids. Uh, UCLA got some. And USC got, like, that was, we. Uh, Stanford was, I guess David Shaw was just going nuts somehow in uh, 2017. But, uh, I, I, so I say all that, I think there's always going to be these teams with boosters and donors who want to spend to get that splashy player potentially. And then you add in the fact that the playoff is expanding, so more teams have that chance to make the playoff and win a national title. I just don't see a situation five to seven years from now where, again, like the big schools like Bama, Georgia, Ohio State are just dominating the recruiting and getting all the good players again, and it's just very concentrated. I, just, I think the model that we are now going to, it's, it's leading to a little bit more parity. And I also think, I mean and this is like one of my biggest theories of the last 15 years of college football too, is I think we just, in the last month, we got our biggest injection of parody that we've seen in the sport in 15 years with Nick Saban retiring. It's like, because like we talk about all of this, but my big theory is that it's actually just Nick Saban who broke college football for 15 years. Yeah, that's been your long I know that sounds theory. silly, I, but it's like... I don't really I, agree with it, but... It's, I, I, I mean, we, we I mean, it's... Out. It's it's a big deal when the most successful coach in the, in you know in the sports history 
just had the most like dominating run, 15-year run of dominance, and then he's not there anymore. That's a big deal. And the fact that the other, like the team that's supposed to pop up and, and be dominant in the absence of Nick Saban is a Nick Saban guy who learned everything from Nick Saban, and they built the program in the exact same way. All right, that's, that's all the thoughts I have on NIL. Is there anything? And we have some more stuff to talk about. I just wanted to, before we move on from NIL, I just wanted to see if you had anything else you wanted to bring up. No, I mean, I, I like Jared's comment because it, it still is right. I mean, we're, we're still in the, in the middle of an experiment. And, and I think it's pretty clear that OU's administration, their football program, has definitely erred more to the side of we want to develop still through recruiting, through, uh, through building a really strong culture that want, that where guys want to stick around and want to stay for four or five years. That's what they've decided to do. And I think that's that's probably the right move at this point in time. And then if you really feel like if you have if you feel like you have a really nice window to win a national championship, then maybe in a one year off cycle, you you're saying like, hey, yeah, we are going to give maybe two million dollars to this like big portal fish. Like look at Ohio State, Ohio State for the first like handful of years of the portal in IL was not a huge player in the portal at all. And this year they go and get Quinshawn Judkins and Caleb Downs because they feel like they can win a national championship. This is the first time they've really gone heavy into the portal. And I'm like, I'm interested in that. That's very, very, let's see, we'll see if that works out for them. And then this is like, clearly the thing with Ole Miss, they feel like they have a window, maybe not to win a national title, but to make the playoff. And so they go and they spend big money on guys on the offensive line, guys, you know, on the defensive line throughout the SEC. And they haven't been doing as well on the recruiting on the recruiting trail. We'll see if it works out for him. We don't know. What if Walter Nolan comes in and tears his ACL in spring practice? I mean, you, you never oh, know what's going to happen. All right, so we're going to read some more Facebook comments later in the show. And uh, actually, right now, I, we're going to transition over to a different topic that I find to be quite interesting. Uh, still a couple more left to go. Uh, that aren't NIL related, some Facebook comments. But uh, speaking of a Facebook comment that is not NIL related, but helps us transition to our next topic, let's read this one from Justin. Justin says, any thoughts on FanDuel having the Oklahoma over-under win total at six and a half next season? Seems low to me, but those numbers tend to be pretty accurate generally. I would have thought eight and a half was more reasonable. Do I just have crimson colored glasses? So I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Justin. And so I went and looked at FanDuel today as we record this on February 11th. And OU's number on FanDuel right now is seven and a half. And so I don't know if it, if it really did open at six and a half and already got bet up to seven and a half or if the six and a half number was just uh, like a, an error in reporting because I saw, I think I saw some people tweeting about it. I don't know. But right now, on FanDuel, it's seven and a half, and uh, it's seven and a half. And the over is at plus one thirty, and the under is a minus one sixty favorite, which does kind of make me think that maybe it did open at six and a half or seven. And it's already moved a little bit. So this is a situation where you and I, like on the show, we've already kind of talked about like what's you know when the schedule came out, like what's this, what's their win total going to be? And I think you and I, we've kind of settled on we really expected the number to be something like eight or eight and a half. For Oklahoma so seeing seven and a half right now and potentially you know six and a half or seven is pretty surprising and so I think that 
when we get closer to the summertime, we get to May, June, July, we'll get a better a better idea because more books will release their season win total. And this is super early. But right now, I think this just as a straight value play, if you can't, I mean, that's a great number to jump on the over for Oklahoma. I mean, eight and four is absolutely realistic for Oklahoma. And quite frankly, for the fan base and I mean, for where we're going to be, that's probably the floor of our expectations. I mean, eight and four. That being said, to hit on the other side of it, look at Brent Venables in the first couple of years against expectation. Year one, woefully underperformed expectation. The season win total in 2022 was nine and a half, I believe. OU won six games. Last season, exceeded expectations slightly. The win total was nine and a half once more. OU won 10 games. So now going into year three of Venables, is Brent more of the guy we saw in year one or is he more of the guy we saw in year two? And we'll find that out come, come September. I think sadly though, Grant, and I'll, I got a little bit more and then I'll let you comment. In both years, year one and year two, I think Oklahoma in different ways underperformed because the 2022 team, yes, they underperformed. They had nine and a half win total. They won six. They should have won minimum eight, eight games that year, if not nine or ten just the way the roster was and the way they, you know, they lost close games and they just kind of beat themselves. And then last year's team, yeah, won 10 games, but could have gone undefeated in the regular season. Could have won 12. Could have gone 12-0, and 0, if not 11-1, if, not and 1, if you want to argue that maybe that Texas win was a little lucky. But, you know, sub in and out, Kansas or Oklahoma State. And so now the competition stepping up in 2024, as we all know, in the SEC, it's completely fair, I think, at this point still for people to, to see a number like that, seven and a half, and say, yeah, that's about right. Seven and five for OU, six and six. Totally reasonable to expect that until proven otherwise. So anyway, very interesting number. We can kind of, I'll let you talk about what you think about this number. We can kind of go through the other numbers, too, of other teams that uh, are in the SEC. Um, as of right now, I think it's just a reflection of how insanely difficult their schedule is on paper. Um, I think going into the season, I like I and this this is super early. And like I we've we've talked about this a lot. Vegas really does track very closely with Bill Connolly's SP plus and other stuff. And his numbers haven't come out for 2024 yet. Um, and like I I mean just just teams that I you know that are that are ahead of OU here and, and win totals like Ole Miss and Missouri. They're both at nine and a half. This is a reflection of their schedule, which are which is just much lighter than OU's and I those are those are teams that I expect OU to be ahead of in the preseason projections analytically just in terms of being a better team I, I expect OU to be ahead of both of those teams I expect them to be ahead of Tennessee I expect them to be ahead of Auburn um the one the one that jumps out to me the most is it's just like and with it's a what there's 16 teams in the SEC now some of it so much of it is schedule based I mean Texas is at 10 and a half for their win total right now, and that is 100% a reflection of their schedule being about as easy as it possibly can be in the SEC. That, like, look at all Texas plays of the of the the of the six teams that have the lowest total. Texas plays five of those six teams. OU only plays one. There it is. <laughs> that that's exactly what it is. That that is the difference. Yeah. So you go down the. The list. So the top two teams, win total wise in the SEC, is or are Texas and Georgia. 
each at 10 and a half, and both those teams play each other next year. Obviously, Texas is on OU's schedule. So you look at OU. OU's at 7.5, way down, kind of in the middle of the pack. I mean, on their schedule, Texas, numbers at 10.5. Alabama, numbers at 9.5. LSU, 9.5. Missouri, 9.5. Ole Miss, 9.5. Tennessee, 8.5. Auburn, 7.5. The only South Carolina, 5.5. Uh, yeah, South Carolina is the, the one that's below them. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess they're tied with Auburn, uh, seven and a half. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that's – and so it's, you're right. I mean, it's all about schedule. So it's essentially saying like, yep, right now OU at this moment is projected, according to this number, to basically lose every single one of those games, if not maybe win one of them against those teams that are above them in the win total. And could that happen? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, but, man, it is kind of – jarring though to see a, a win total and see a&m with a big uh, you know higher one than ou it's like okay it's schedule so it's it's total it's schedule oh, i yeah, know i know so. it's still just for the principle of it, it's kind of bizarre by the way mississippi state four and a half so jeff levy very low expectations in year number one there in starkville which yeah that's expected yeah and so it is like i, I just i'm nothing has changed OU schedule next year is beyond brutal it's a, it's an absurdly brutal schedule but also, I mean, I think there's there's other things that you can look at where it's like if if Missouri woefully underperforms expectations, is anyone going to be surprised next year? Of course not. I, I really don't think so. If Ole Miss woefully underperforms, will anyone be surprised? No. Yeah, I agree. Look at Missouri. I mean, they got. Uh, I mean, they got Missouri's got Boston College in the non-con. I mean, that's not a. That's not a walk. I mean, if 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 um, Alabama, it wouldn't surprise me if Alabama takes a massive step back next year. And like I know, their roster is still obscenely talented. Um, so many, so many good high school recruits still on that roster. But Alabama is the one. Go look at their schedule. It's it's just as brutal as OU's. Their schedule is obscene. And I don't even Alabama. Who's play quarter, like I guess Jalen Milrow is going to play quarterback for them, but you know they don't have any. All their receivers are gone. They, their entire defense is gone. Basically, uh, that's 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 a tough that's uh, that's tough year one for Kalen DeBoer. Yeah, Bama's got Western Kentucky, South Florida to start, then at Wisconsin, kind of fun. At Wisconsin, that's pretty fun. Uh, Georgia, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina back to back. Okay, a little bit of a reprieve. Then they got to go. They got to go to Tennessee, host Missouri. They get a bye week at LSU, Mercer then at OU and finishing up with Auburn. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's not an easy schedule. I f that's like so a – It's Yeah, I mean, o they're nine OU and schedule half, is – Take the under. Take the under on that, man. Nine and a half. I, like, first year without Saban, that's – I mean, you could see lost to Georgia. Heck, who knows? Tennessee on the road. I don't know. Maybe. If Missouri's good, maybe. LSU at LSU without Saban. Heck, maybe even OU. And still, yeah, I mean, that's OU's got the I, I and I and I still like if if you really want to take a half glass full approach, OU still has the X factor. If Jackson Arnold is him, this skyrockets up. If Jackson Arnold is one of the best quarterbacks in the conference, this skyrockets up because Alabama, obviously Alabama, so much talent, a ton. 
graduate their entire defense. LSU is at nine and a half. They had one of the worst defenses, not just in Power Five last year, but in all of college football. That's not going to get extremely better in one year. Ole Miss, their defense would not need good last year. If OU's offense it's, is it's good, okay. it was it was fine. Missouri, okay. they, yeah. they had a pretty good defense this past year. They they graduated all their best players on defense. There's it's there's an opening there. It's a difficult schedule, but none of these teams, like all of these teams do have demerits on paper that you can really point to. And OU, they do have that X factor. They have maybe Jackson Arnold. They maybe have a stud behind center. And I know that OU's receivers are freaking awesome. Stack up, stack up against anybody in this conference. Be up to Arnold and Seth Luttrell to give them the football, though. Get them in good positions. Get them the ball in space. Let them make plays because they have plenty of guys who can make plays. And that's clearly the guys on the roster. Then, of course, the, the incoming guy from Purdue who's really good. And so we'll, and then we'll, we're going to get into this because I, I wrote something here about you know uh, uh, returning production rankings as well. OU, the most experienced defense in the SEC coming back next season. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to move on to the next topic. Anything else on FanDuel win totals? You good? No, nah, it's just it's interesting. I'm I'm really curious to see how this is updated. You know, as the year goes on, when other books come out, I, I like it's it's not going to vary greatly. It wouldn't surprise me if in you know like in June or July we see OU at eight and a half somewhere. It wouldn't surprise me. I I highly doubt it gets above eight and a half though. Oh yeah, no, I I'd be shocked. Uh, one bit of just kind of news and notes from OU that worth mentioning here on the show is there was a report since our last episode, uh, I believe it might have been early this past week, that special teams coach Jay Nunez is leaving for the Alabama job. And this has not been announced officially anywhere. I believe it was Parker Thune who initially reported it. Uh, I'm looking at his tweet right now. He says, source Sooner special teams analyst Jay Nunez leaving Oklahoma to join Alabama as special teams coordinator. And so, uh, I mean, I was on the record kind of at the end of the season saying, I don't think OU special teams was really as bad as people made it out to be. I think a lot of it was just at kicker, and the kicker was bad, so it just made everything else look bad. But at the same time, though, like you see that special teams coach is leaving. Again, it's not, not, made, not made official. Like Alabama hasn't announced anything, but I mean, I don't know, you know who knows if why this is not official, but... You make you know that news. It makes you think like I, I'm not too broken up about it. It's like, well, I mean, special teams can definitely be better. So maybe he wasn't the answer uh, for whatever or, or whatever he was. Maybe he was limited because he was an analyst and he couldn't be there during the games. Maybe that factored in. I don't know. But Brent Venables will have to make a decision and figure out how to make special teams better. And I think it all starts with the kicker. If the kicking game can be better, then I think a lot of stuff will take care of itself. Uh, you're but, also forgetting that yeah. in the second half of the season, every single time that the opposing team was punting to OU, we were holding our breath. Oh, geez, yeah. Well, that's just personnel-wise. I mean, certain guys can't catch kicks. I mean, geez, that's and who you know, who made those decisions? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm but not sure about that. There. But there's also, um, we'll see. I know. I know Zach Alley has had a special teams background as as a coach yep. as well. Jay Nunez himself was just an analyst. Like he wasn't, he wasn't an on-field coach there on game day. So, kind of what the decisions they make there are going to be interesting. But yeah, you know, I don't think Jay Nunez leaving is going to make or break them for this upcoming season. Um, 
I yeah, I, it's 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 notable, but I don't think you know not something that we should be running to the hills over. So I got some more Facebook comments to read, but I'm looking at the rundown here, Grant. I, I did see that you put on these returning production rankings. Is this a separate part of the podcast? You want to hit on this stuff? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I already brought it in, but um, oh, Bill, yeah, okay, yeah, but you know, Bill Connolly, the creator of SP Plus, he does his returning production rankings every single year, and it's it, this isn't just like he he weights it in certain ways. So like on offense, you know, they he heavily weights offensive line returning starts because there's a lot of correlation. If you return your offensive line, your offense is going to be good, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think on on defense, he really weights uh, guys coming back in the secondary is there's a lot of correlation for, for having a good defense in, in regards to that. So um, OU comes in at 67th in returning production overall. They're returning 62% of all of their production from last season. They're 111th on offense at 44%. And of course, that, that has to do with Dylan Gabriel being gone and them losing a lot of offensive line starters as well. Uh, they are 8th on defense total, though. That's 79% of their returning production. And so 67th that, you know, that doesn't sound great, but then when you stack it up against the rest of their schedule, it's, they're fine. It's, they, they are not really being absolutely gutted um, relative to the rest of their schedule. Lee, the, the team with the highest, uh, who is ranked highest in returning production on their schedule is actually Texas. They're 25th in the country, 30th on offense, 38th on defense. So it's not like overwhelming. And we also know with Texas, they are, they're, they're losing all of their best players. All of their best players are, except, you know, unless, you know, Kelvin Banks, one of their best players is back. Ewers is a good player, too, but um, as we've said on this podcast, he is he, he is the reason their offense is inconsistent. And so it'll be interesting to see if, you know, if they're if if he's able to improve in year one. But I, you know, I'm I'm of I'm of the opinion that it's a ve- very, very real possibility that even with Jackson, Arnold, OU is better at quarterback than Texas again this year. Because I so yeah, Ewers is just is just not special. I mean, he's a usually good, but yeah, he's good he's, there's something kind he's of good player. He's just not special. Something missing there, like like I wouldn't be super pumped, you know, if if my NFL team was drafting him in the first round, you know, like you, you just there'd be something kind of odd. But who knows? He's so yeah, Texas there, Missouri at 31, uh, Auburn, South Carolina, and LSU are are all above OU, but yeah, below them. I mean, you, Bama's way down there. Tennessee's way down there. Tennessee yeah. way down there. I mean, Ole so. Miss. Everyone, everyone losing their minds about Ole Miss. They're, I mean, they're right there at OU. They're sixty eighth in returning production. Uh, they return a lot on offense, but it's defense. They they lose a lot, and that's you know where them picking up those three def- huge defensive line guys in the portal probably comes in. But um, it's it's interesting. Like I, I OU is not really playing any teams that are just like, oh my gosh, all of the guys that they bring back are like overwhelming and I'm terrified of that. They, they're, they're really not playing any teams like that this year. And I, I do find it interesting though, two teams that OU played this past season are right up there in the top five. Iowa State is second in returning production. Second on offense, fifth on defense. And uh, other side of Bedlam, Oklahoma State's fourth. 15th on offense, 14th on defense. And I don't really, you know, Oklahoma State was not a very good team this year. They were a they were a six and six team pretending to be a ten and four team, but um, kind of kind of like the reverse, the reverse of Team One Twenty Nine for OU. It'd be like if 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 if, if OU that Team One Twenty or Team One Twenty Eight, sorry, 
would have like would have been way more lucky and would have gotten some like breaks at the end of games. That's basically oh, yeah. what they were. Yeah. God, we got, got team team one thirty coming up here. Is that is that where we're at, huh? Man, team one three zero. Man. First year of the SEC. Okay, back to the West of Evers Facebook page just to clean up a couple more comments that don't necessarily have much to do with OU but other topics and We'll finish the show up with some of your comments. So Hunter says, I'm not the biggest off-season guy as I was when I was younger. Oh, I'm not the biggest off-season guy compared to when I was younger. Got it. Uh, I just tune into the thunder or go outside. <laughs> uh, as far as OU football goes, I like to hear the coaches, how they feel about off-season workouts and who's making strides. But I know OU has put an emphasis in the trenches as far as recruiting and portal stuff goes. That's always pretty exciting for future OU football teams. So, uh, that's Hunter's comment. Just wanted to give a comment. Just I, we asked kind of what's interesting to you all about right now, and he just that's Hunter's comment. So thank you for that, Hunter. Back to Jared. Jared's got another comment, and he says, "Oh, he says, who do y'all have in the big game? How do you see the two teams matching up?" And I, I, knowing Jared, I know he's being somewhat facetious with that question. Uh, let's let's hit on Super Bowl at the very end. Well, because uh, he's got he's got another thing. Uh, he's uh, Jared says, "Oh, what's your favorite Toby Keith song?" <laughs> specifically for lee i know he's a big music guy okay now uh yeah so uh, by the way i was at the the ou bedlam basketball game last night there was a, a you know toby keith dedication had some beers out of a red solo cup they did a nice little halftime uh, montage of photos and playing his songs what's my favorite toby keith song i <laughs> i don't i don't i don't know i don't I guess I'm not the biggest Toby Keith music fan, I guess. Uh, I, I know a couple of his songs. I'm trying to think of what it would be. I don't know. Do you have a favorite Toby Keith song? Because I, really, I guess I, really I, I don't. One. You know, I, I'm appreciative of Toby Keith. I'm aware he means a lot to a lot of people. Obviously means a lot to the OU uh, athletic program. I am not a fan of his music. I, you know, Red Solo Cup came out my senior year of college, and that was, that was a fun song to sing when we were already, you know, very very drunk and we always sang it ironically so that that tells you all you need to know so as i'm looking at i just kind of googled like his song okay obviously i've heard a lot of these songs so i'd say you know what i just out of the sheer kind of like based off uh, experiences i've had and being in oklahoma obviously for a long time people here love toby keith so i've heard you know you should have been a cowboy is a very famous one that might be one of his and so that that one's kind of kind of catchy i guess like people love singing that I also kind of like Beer for My Horses, even though I'm pretty sure he's not the only guy. I think that might be a Willie Nelson song, too, with him. And, uh, of course, you got, uh, you know, How Do, li How Do You Like Me Now? That's, I guess, kind of catchy. Oof, so I, these are all man, really famous that's, songs. That's a really bad song. <laughs> Real bad song. Yeah. But also, probably not the, like I know probably it, not so the time like, okay. to talk about uh, if, the, if the songs are good or bad. It's, Toby Keith seems like a very, very nice and gracious person. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know he was. It's like not a it's it's obviously this is very sad time for for everyone involved with that yeah it's tough and especially considering i you know, i kind of thought for a while that he was improving getting better but obviously i i know he i guess he wasn't but um yeah you know prayers for his family and yeah it was a really cool scene i mean obviously very loved in oklahoma and not just here but i mean Across the country. I mean, Toby Keith's one of the most famous country music artists out there. So, uh, interesting how, you know, Toby Keith and you got Garth Brooks, both 
Oklahoma. I think Garth, Garth Brooks. He, I think he's, he's an Oklahoma, OSU man. guy. Yeah. So, uh, so that's my my Toby Keith thought. Our Toby Keith thought. Uh, Harry, you know, longtime listener, our friend Harry says, uh, you got to talk about number one OU super fan Toby Keith. So there you go. Uh, that thing is like, I mean, very supportive of the program. I mean, everyone knew Toby Keith. It's like everyone knows Toby Keith and Jr. You know, from the wrestling that uh, they're kind of around OU. Uh, I do find that I do find oh, that ironic. It's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've known Toby Keith and and Jr. Of course, have been like huge and like I've I've been aware of them for a long time ever since I was a kid. Never, yeah, never ne- never cared for either of the ventures that they that they represented outside of OU football. Yeah, same, you know, but certainly appreciate their love of OU athletics, and that's kind of one of those things where even though I'm not the biggest. Toby Keith fan of his music or like I don't watch wrestling at all never have it's like well we have something in common we love OU stuff OU sports that's great so there you go finally uh Harry also has a comment slash question he says of course you got to have your <laughs> Harry, Harry cracks me up sometimes he says got to give your Sooner Bowl also known as the Super Bowl picks because of all the Sooners in the game he says congrats to Creed Humphrey Blake Bell, James Winchester on the Chiefs, Trent Williams, and Braden, Braden Willis is on the 49ers. He's on the practice squad, I guess. Maybe I don't know. I didn't know. No, he's, the he's been on the he's been on the roster the entire season. Does he? Oh, good for him. So, uh, so he wants a Super Bowl thought, and of course, uh, I know Jared wants us to break down every single uh, potential matchup from this game. You know, starting with the quarterbacks to the left guards to the the defensive ends. You know, we have to break down position by position because that's what people want from this podcast. <laughs> uh, my thoughts are so here's the thing on uh, i guess we'll do this for at the end of the show i'm on the niners i'm on the niners you know minus two minus one and a half wherever you got them i think it's interesting that the number has not really moved at all because my experiences and i'll be curious to your thoughts on this grant i know you're not as into the nfl as you maybe you used to be or definitely as i am but everybody i everything i listen to whether it's betting sharps fans just people like Everybody is on the Chiefs. Like the Sharps are on the Chiefs, even though I've heard people like I heard somebody make the comment, "Oh, the, the Sharps must be on the Niners because the, the number hasn't moved much." Like, no, I don't. I've, I haven't heard. I listen to a lot of betting podcasts. They're all like, if they're actual Sharps, like everyone's on the Chiefs, and it's simply because of Pat Mahomes. It's because like I don't want to bet against Patrick Mahomes. Like, and so my thing is, I get that too. There's just something weird about this game where. I don't know why the number has been the same this entire time. I feel like everybody, like Publix, I guarantee all over the Chiefs, why is the number still two? It's almost like the Chiefs should be the favorite by now, but they're not. So either I'm thinking way too much about this, but I kind of have a feeling that the Niners are going to put it together today. Uh, the defense has been kind of disappointing, but I don't. the Chiefs' offense is not the same Chiefs' offense as it's been in the last few years. Like, it, it played well. I mean, they did what it needed to do against Baltimore, who's got a very good defense. But Baltimore's defense also shut the Chiefs out after halftime. Like, there's a blueprint there to slow them down. And the Chiefs' defense has been very good, obviously. But I think the Niners' offense is really good. So uh, I can see the weapons, like Kyle Shanahan dialing some things up for Debo and, and Ayuk and obviously Christian McCaffrey. And, and Brock, I mean, obviously you got Brock Purdy versus Patrick Mahomes. That's, of course, take Patrick Mahomes. I like Brock Purdy. I think, but a lot of it is because he's on a great team with a really good head coach, with a good play caller. He's going to get put in a lot of good positions. 
And so I'll take my chances with the Niners in this game and kind of go against the grain because it really seems like everybody is on Kansas City. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess in, in my mind, this is, and I, I said it on this podcast two weeks ago, this, this is pretty easy. You don't, you, you don't take Brock Purdy over, over Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. You just, you don't. I, it, it's, Shanahan is, is going to have to be a savant in this game. That's the only way the 49ers can win. It, it's, he's got to have to, he's going to have to draw up stuff that is just completely unassailable. Um, I, because when you get into the Super Bowl, it's about the Jimmys and Joes. They've, this has been, this game has been so analyzed. They're like their coaching staffs. They're, they're both going to come up with good game plans. It's going to come down to who you got on the field. And hey, like, I think I think the reason why the the line has stayed the same is because we have you know we have a lot of input you know over the course of how many games have these teams played 19 20 games both of these teams have played I mean the 49ers have been the best team in the NFL this season they just have been um, unless you want to unless you want to say Baltimore but I never really bought into Baltimore um, so that's I it, you can talk yourself into San Francisco because they've been really good and Purdy's been really good and. Purdy statistically was probably the best quarterback in, in, in the NFL this season. Um, but man, he still well, had Lamar Jackson watched just a lot of He's still so I mean Lamar uh, Jackson I, won the MVP. So I know Purdy's numbers were better. He had a higher his his DVOA was higher, he had a higher QBR. It was Purdy probably should have been the MVP. Um but like also we mm. I mean statistically he should have been. But but also, if you watch Purdy a lot this year, man, uh, way more of the Brock Purdy we know and love came out this year <laughs> than last year. Uh, um, yeah, it's fun. I, and and if, if you really want to look at matchup specifics in this game, Brock Purdy has been sacked a ton this year, and the Chiefs' pass rush is outstanding. There you go. That's the, that's the game. Brock Purdy is going to make a lot of mistakes in this game because he's and Brock he very Purdy. Ma- and he very, may well, he very well may... Sorry about that. Yeah. Also, part of my handicap, and, and this is just me personally. This, there's no way to to measure this, but I, I think San Francisco wins it all last year if he doesn't get injured in the NFC title game. I thought they were by far the best team. I thought they were much better than the Eagles, and I think they win that. They cruise and win that game against Philadelphia if he doesn't get hurt. Uh, and I think they go on to beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. So I, it's like now that he's there, he's healthy. They have their whole team. I kind of think it's like a you know it's a makeup for last year in a way and the Chiefs aren't as good as they were last season their defense is better but the offense isn't as good I don't think and uh I, I get it Patrick Mahomes is still there he's awesome he's great he's he's gonna make plays because that's what he does but I something tells me uh offensively I think Detroit and granted it's not Patrick Mahomes but who's to say Detroit's offense and Green Bay's offense at the end of the year playing better football than Kansas City's I mean maybe San Francisco was really pressed and challenged the last couple of games. They didn't play the best. They got out of there with wins. They found a way to win. And what if Kansas City's offense is overall maybe a, a step down compared to Detroit and Green Bay, and that plays into San Francisco's hands? Possible. It's possible. It's possible. It makes me wonder if... I, I kind of have a feeling that San Francisco's offensive game plan is going to be... I Chris McCaffrey needs to touch it 30 times. I, it wouldn't surprise me if that's there, but then it leads me to believe it's like you don't, you just you don't win Super Bowls by giving it to your running back anymore. You win Super Bowls at on 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 the right or left shoulder of your quarterback. And I mean, yeah, McCaffrey's awesome, but also I think I, because this guy is such a difference maker, it's they got to get Debo. I mean, Debo's got to get the ball like 
15 times. I mean, that, that dude's so good. And inevitably, he'll probably get hurt because he always gets hurt. <laughs> but this is you better I think, believe like, someone he's like, going to get schemed up. So I feel like someone like Chris Jones is so important for Kansas City is that he can collapse the pocket from the inside. Whereas, I mean, we saw, I mean, that was, I always said Brock Purdy's number one attribute as a quarterback was his magician-like ability to get away from pressure. Always was his number one attribute. And that's, that's kind of played out in the NFL a little bit. Um, it makes it so much harder when you have an all-pro defensive tackle who's a good pass rusher coming at you from the middle of the pocket. Makes it so much harder. And so I'm really curious to see how that plays out. I mean, it's, a, like, it's not going to surprise me if San Francisco wins it. San Francisco's been really good this year. It's a, they're a really good team. Um, man, I've just I watched the NFL for a lot of years, and, and you know that a lot of the time in big games like this, it really does come down to who has the better quarterback. And in this case, it's just not even, like, in this case, I'm sorry, like, Kansas City has the best who has ever played the position, in my mind. Um, and the other well, guy is Brock Sometimes there's Purdy. some head scratchers, man. There's some head scratchers, and you're like, what the heck? Just look at Eli Manning, man. <laughs> Knocked out Brady twice. I mean, it's Nick Foles. You know, like every once in a while, some random thing will happen. And you're like, oh, didn't see that coming. I mean, heck, I mean, the Seahawks destroying the the Broncos with, you know, Peyton Manning versus young Russell Wilson. Didn't see that coming. And it was just a blowout. Uh, not, you know, so it's, you know, who knows? Like maybe this is like maybe a weird game where you look back, it's like, man, Patrick Mahomes got, got beat by Brock Purdy. That's, but then again, Brock Purdy is not—he's not Trent Dilfer. <laughs> you know, he's—he's a—he's a, he's a talented guy who's benefited from a great roster and a great offensive coach and a guy that can again—he's a good player. Like Brock Purdy's not a bad player. He's just—he's not. I mean, put him on a different roster, he's probably not going to do the same kind of stuff just based off of coaching and and help. But I uh, gotta give him, give him credit. And uh, yeah, it's just—it wouldn't be that crazy if if they get a win. It, it, it obviously it's it's not Purdy versus Mahomes. I mean. Like last year, it wasn't Hurts versus Mahomes, and uh, it's just. Uh, but last year, I mean, my yeah. my calculus last year was the exact same thing. You just don't. You don't. It's. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to take the team that's quarterbacked by Patrick Mahomes. Even I mean, Hurts was Hurts was pretty darn good last year in that game. That they they did not lose because of Jalen Hurts. But oh uh, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. I mean, terrible fumble turned into a touchdown. That was the difference in the game right there, man. One bad play. He did fumble uh, a lot I, at OU. Hurts was good. Hurts was good. Like, I think it's overblown how good he was in that game. I, like, yes, he was very good. I don't think he was as good as – like, people make it seem like he, like, didn't make any mistakes and he was – like, I mean, he had a huge mistake. He, he had a terrible fumble that led to a touchdown. But, yes, he was very good that. in his first Super Bowl. I don't even remember it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that was a game where I think Philly kind of outplayed Kansas City a lot and still, still lost. And so that's your point. I mean, they – because Mahomes found a way, and the only time he's lost in this game was to Tom Brady, and they got their butts kicked. But that's whenever you know. Think back to that, that was the COVID year, and uh, the whole narrative going into that game was the Chiefs' offensive line was so banged up and bad. And then what do you know? It played out that the Chiefs' offensive line got just manhandled by the Bucks' front four, and that was the game. And so that's not necessarily the case. I think the the Chiefs have one of their offensive linemen out though. In this game, like Tooney or Thuney or whatever, how do you say his name? Uh, so who knows how much that? I, I don't think he played against Baltimore though either. So, anyways, not experts on the Chiefs, but uh, that's your uh, your Super Bowl breakdown here on West of Everest. How uh, how fun would it be to? I, I guess I'm not I'm not sure. Like I mean, you and I are both 
relative to the the rest of the human population. We're 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 kind of we're Las Vegas veterans. We've both been there a lot. Both spent a lot of time there. I've I've spent a little bit more time than you there. You think it'd be you think it'd be a really you think it'd be really fun to be there this week? Or do you think it would be kind of a no. slog and kind of crappy? No, it'd be awful. I think it'd be awful. Would it be fun if you were strapped with cash and could do whatever you wanted? Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Answer that question just for seen... Vegas is always yes. That's it's yeah. Yeah. like I think about this like when they had that F1 weekend in the fall. It's like that would have been an absolute travesty. That it looked like that Ugh. was just like the worst Vegas weekend like ever for people who like consistently are in Vegas. I I don't think the Super Bowl is like what really would have been great was last year for and like you don't care about this, but they had March they had March Madness and Taylor Swift concert there on the exact same weekend. Last year in March. That would have been amazing. That would have been incredible. Oh boy, yeah, that's that's a lot. But yeah, no, I I don't think I'd want to be there. That sounds like a just an absolute zoo. All right, everyone. Well, we will uh, pause until next time. Apologize for missing last week, but uh, hopefully this uh, we had a lot of good stuff today. We had a lot of stuff to catch up on, and honestly, I think our NIL stuff just would have happened a week sooner. So we've just done that last week. We had a little bit more time. So we'll see what would happens. Uh, heck, we didn't even talk about OU basketball really, which is fine. We don't need to. Uh, but yeah, there'll be they, more to talk win about. Some games this week. Yeah, yeah, if they, yeah if, man. If they go one and one this week, that's like big time. That'd be big time. It's Baylor yeah. and Kansas, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they're not. So uh, I, will, I, I do yeah. need to say though. I did say the last time we recorded, I did say that there was no way that they would get a win in Bramlage Coliseum, and they ended up winning that game by twenty-one points. And honestly, if they would have played well, they could have won that game by forty because Kansas State <laughs> was pitifully terrible. Yeah, that was a bad, awful, disgusting, ugly game, and. uh Oh, yeah. Somehow won that game by 20 points. Like, that's how bad K-State was. I had not so even we'll pause the, until next time. The, bed, the Bedlam game last night, which was, yeah. I, honestly, and even, and even, I mean, you were there in person, but that game was, was unwatchable awful. on television. Just really, just, really bad basketball. At least Oklahoma won. They got to stop wasting good crowds. Uh, it's play better when there's more people there, and then maybe more people will go to these games. All right, we'll I'm be back like, next week. It, it's also i'm sorry it's also gotten to the point where it's hilarious where it's like every single time i'm watching them all they're doing is missing free throws and it's putting them in terrible spots and yet i go look at the numbers and they're one of the best free throw shooting teams in the country i don't know what's going on they shoot 75 percent as a team from the free throw line and all they do is Sometimes miss big they... free throws well last night I, at halftime i looked up at the the scoreboard and OU was shooting like 52% from the field. And I was like, they're shooting 52%. And they're only up by a point. <laughs> they're like up by one. And like Oklahoma State was shooting like 22% from the field. And OU was only up by one or something. It's like, how is that possible? I don't understand how it's only a one-point game. Sometimes stats just don't make any sense. Man. It's weird, yeah. It always comes at the it's like the worst times. Like when I watch them and they're struggling, it's always just like, Oh man, like all they do on the offensive side of the ball is just turn it over and then they miss they miss the front end of one-on-ones. That's like all they do. And you go look, and like yeah, one of the best free throw shooting teams in the country and they turn it over. Like they're like a really good team and 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 like nationally in terms of turning it over. They don't turn it over that much and I'm like how? They turn it over all the time. I don't none of this like none of the numbers like actually match the eye test at all. It's so weird this year. 
All right, we'll be back next week to talk whatever the heck's going on in OU football and more, probably. So enjoy the Super Bowl. Enjoy this week, everybody. Talk to you soon. <laughs> For Grant, I you am just Lee. This absolutely just Evers. nailed it. Nailed that sign off. This is great. Let's just keep going now. Let's just keep going. <laughs> so yeah, what else is going on? This week? Uh, let's see. Did I? Uh, I, I kind of started watching 22 Drum Street, and then I, I turned it off because I got a phone it's call. good one. Didn't get back to it. Yeah, I saw I saw Argyle on Thursday night. Man, it's bad, so bad. Pound for pound, one of the longest movies ever made. Save yourself okay. uh, pain and suffering, everyone. Don't go and see it. Yeah, not gonna watch that. Not gonna watch that at all. I did see that. Apparently, there's news out there that the television show Community might have a script for a movie now, which uh, makes me happy. Love that show. Anything else? <laughs> Nib high football. Oh, rules. man. This is so dumb. All right, everyone. Talk to you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.